and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Hi everyone. Um, I want to, I've got a title, Danny will be thrilled I have a title already, that normally takes at least a few conversations. Um, my title this morning is Textbook Standards, because I want to talk to you about things that are textbook and standards, so the clue's in the title. Um, I think there's nothing I'm going to say today that hasn't been heard in some form before, so I'm but it's really important that we have to keep going back to some of this stuff because it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick in our brains and we forget it and we forget our why and we forget why we're doing what we're doing and we, we, we forget the plot sometimes. So I just want to revisit some of that. And this, that film, the clip that film was taken from is called Mona Lisa Smile. And I'm going to play three clips from the film today and then a different one at the end and then just share some thoughts in between. So in that clip... Um, Catherine Ann Watson, she's a 30-year-old teacher and she's joined Wellesley College to teach the history of art. You'll have picked that up. And here she finds the absolute brightest girls. And they are already, before even the course begins, they are already textbook perfect. They know already what she's intending to teach them and have self-studied. So, of course, that's blindsided her because every... Everywhere she's ever taught before, they haven't been quite so studious. So she finds that moment where, oh, they all already believe they know what's expected of them and they can perform to that standard. Now, Catherine very quickly learns the pattern of how it's going to work in that class and that she isn't just going to be able to go and deliver the textbook because she's going to have to... Whew, they, those girls think they already know it. Now, a textbook answer, the meaning of that is that something is exactly how it would be described in a textbook. It is predictable and it's as expected. So sometimes you might say someone has a textbook response. What you're saying is that's exactly how I would have expected that person to react, that situation to play out. It's textbook. Um, now, if you... Basically, if you say that something is a textbook case or example, you're emphasizing the fact that you see it as typical. Now, all of the girls could answer all of the questions because there was a set syllabus. They knew what she was going to say before she said it, and it all looks very straightforward. And as you'll see as we go on and, and the film takes some shape, they struggle to think outside of a set syllabus because actually, they can answer the questions in the textbook, but you'll see a bit later on that when other questions come out of life and of the class that aren't in the book, they don't actually 
know what to do and they have all sorts of different responses to that which I think probably resonates. Now Catherine very much spots this and she sets about trying to get them to see beyond the textbook. Now I, if you've not caught on yet I'm, I'm deliberately using this film because I think it's got something to say to us at Q about what we see as textbook. Now Jesus was called a teacher many many times. And the Bible references how he went to places and he began teaching them. But when he started to teach them, it seemed to be very much um, a new type of syllabus, not in the textbook that they'd heard before, not with the answers they expected or predicted. And so, a little bit like in, in that clip, this person was not going to be able to teach them anything. They might as well go back to what they were doing before. Now, there's a ton of examples of this, and those of you who are familiar with the Bible will recognize some, but this was a phrase in some version that was quite often said by Jesus. You have heard it said, da -da 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 -da, but I tell you. So he was acknowledging the fact that I know you're going to have heard this. I know what you've heard. I know what the textbook says of what you've set up as the standard of how you do God. But I'm telling you something slightly different. He was not predictable and he was not as expected. Now, Rob mentioned last week the distinction between the essence of something and its expression at any one time. So whether, let's just say we take that the expression of Jesus was the essence of what God was trying to show the world about who and what God is. I propose that it remains not predictable, as expected, or textbook. So what is the Jesus syllabus? Oh. Um, now a syllabus is a summary or outline, typically of what will be covered in an academic course and can I just welcome those of you who are joining us from York Uni we've got uh, two of you in here today and three and others and um, so it's nice to keep um, we seem to be getting um, 30 years ago this weekend I came to St John's University for the first time at the rock and I'm still here 30 years oh my words now no pressure on those of you that have come for the first time today they're not going to make you sign something before you leave the building that leaves you saddled here 30 years later. I promise it's my choice, <laughs> my decision. <laughs> but um, yeah, those moments that happen, don't they, when you sometimes just go a place and start interacting with people, they're important. So a syllabus is a summary or outline of what will be covered in an academic course. Um, but interestingly, in the Roman Catholic Church... Um, a syllabus is a summary of points decided by the papal decree regarding heretical doctrines or practices. So, it's either what must be covered during the course of this thing we call Jesus living, or it's religious heresy. Opinion profoundly at odds with what is generally accepted. So, syllabus, apparently. So, this is the question I had as I was starting to prepare this. Are you ready? I'm not going to expect you to have an answer to this question because it's a pretty loaded question. What is the acceptable standard for a life of Jesus following and do you meet it? <sighs> Answers on a postcard at the back. Um, gosh, that was a question I was searching my whole life, the whole of these 30 years. What, what are we trying to do here? What's the standard 
for this life of Jesus following, and do you, do we meet it? The textbook syllabus of a Christian church would have Q at profound odds with what a church should, should be. I don't think that's news to any of you, but just in case you think I don't know that, I really do. Um, we don't have traditional, what you'd call traditional Christian worship or communion, although there are other places like ours that do things non-conventionally, so we mustn't think we're the only ones because that's not the case. Um, Bible exposition is thin on the ground. Prayer is not done as you may expect by the typical definition. We don't have not recently believers baptism and we don't talk about typical things and what about personally how are you doing against these 10 guidelines for christian living are you ready those of you that say you're a jesus follower are you ready give yourself a mark out of 10 read your bible daily learn the secret of prayer when you found it let me know um, rely constantly on the holy spirit Attend church regularly. Be a witnessing Christian. Let love be the ruling principle of your life. Be an obedient Christian. Learn how to meet temptation. Now, each of those things you could talk about for a really long period of time because I get them as concepts. I promise you I do. But what does it mean what, what does it mean when that lands in your life? What does it mean for me to be relying constantly on the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? What does that look like on the inside if I was doing that? And what would that look like to you? These are big things and I'm not sure it's, it's not an easy textbook exercise. It's what I'm hoping you're sensing. And if that is the course, aren't we way too far off book? To be off book in theatre means you know the lines now by heart. So you don't have to hold the book in your hand to read the lines. You know the lines by heart. And now what you're going to do is concentrate on the wider aspects of your performance. Gestures, tone, expression, your interaction with others on the stage, your direction. Once you go off book, the, the part comes to life because you're not staring at the page, you're actually thinking about the stage and everything going on. Now we can know the lines, but can we live it on the stage of life? Some of the most generous hearted giving people I know never pick up a Bible and some of the meanest people I have ever met are devoted to it. That is true. Now, and vice versa. And vice versa. I'm not saying it's one or the other, but it isn't the deciding factor. And none of those 10 things and being able to say them are the deciding factor in how people live life on the stage of life. That's a tougher gig. It's a much tougher gig. And you're going to see that as the film plays out. It's not about the book. It's not about the textbook. It's not about how you can learn rote to say the lines. It's how you're going to live your life as a learner and critically. Now, for more on why I think the textbook is not the only thing, I did a talk a while ago called Is the Bible on the Move? I'm not going to repeat all of that. 
But I proposed in that talk that the Bible was not static. Because if Jesus is the part we could most agree on biblically, why are there so many interpretations on his story's truths that cannot be agreed upon by the most educated theologians? So many denominations. And if we cannot discount that he wasn't living on the stage of his life 2,000 years ago with some of the things we are, there must be other things to be said. There were no trains, there were no planes, there were no cars, there was not a digital age, there was no internet. There was a society where men and women had different roles, where gender wasn't in question as a whole the way it is now. There was not modern medicine, there was not modern science, there was not space travel. Now, that means that when we take things that Jesus said in that context and then we want to standardize the whole of modern living against things that were said, you've got to have other material to draw from and you've got to have outside of the textbook the essence of what he was trying to say and, and be. And it, some of that just doesn't work. Um, now, the Bible holds to principles that can be understood through other vehicles, ones more relevant in 2023 for us as an audience. But for some of you, I, and for some people not in this building, I've definitely just thrown out the textbook and with it the acceptable standard for Jesus following. And so perhaps we're already at odds today. But I cannot prove that God's okay with the Bible being less central each week, but you cannot prove that he isn't. In fact, neither you or I can prove who or what God is or isn't. So if we start from the premise, as we consider whether we are too far off book, that perhaps the only thing we can each do now is throw out our textbooks and get learning, we might just be onto something. Have a look at this. I just, honestly, I recommend the film. It, I, it gets me. It really gets me because I hear what she's trying to do. She's trying to get them to think. Um, it's not on the syllabus, but she says, is it any good? And they struggle because there's no textbooks telling you what to think. Now, we've talked about Q, um, art at Q before. We've done it a few times. Um, we talked about the white canvas. I know Danny did something that we linked to jazz. This has come up before, which is why I'm saying I know that this is not new, but I think it's worthy and important that we revisit because it all comes down to one of the questions that one of the girls asks. Aren't there standards? And I have wrestled more with that, I think, in the last 18 months than I have with anything else, because what is the standard that we're trying to do here? And oh, do we meet it? Do we not meet it? Is it there? Is it not there? Is it too much? Is it too little? Is it, oh, I've wrestled with it so much. And you know what? People ask Jesus the same question when he healed on the wrong days, when he mixed in the wrong crowds, when he spoke with the wrong people, when he responded in the wrong ways. They said, aren't there standards? He wanted them to see other expressions. He wanted to paint another picture of God to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father was one of them. Now, in Matthew 23... He does a bunch of woe to use. And again, sometimes some of you may be less familiar or sometimes you forget. He wasn't someone that went around that make it, made everyone feel good all the time. 
that wasn't the expression. These are some of the things that it's reported that he said. Woe to you hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Woe to you, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one convert and when he is one you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, for you cleanse the outside, but inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, because you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. I mean, it's, it's not insignificant, the strength of his feeling there around the standards they were setting. So I put these in my own words in case any of it gets lost in translation and to make it think, well, what's the equivalent now? Because I haven't devoured a widow's house recently. So this is what it spoke to me. Um, hypocrisy, Jesus rejected in his words the following things, hypocrisy and lack of integrity between words and prayers spoken and a life lived on the ground. Bringing other people into your own dogmatic worldview and therefore duplicating the religion problem. Not just about church, religion of all sorts. Being pedantic about things that don't matter and missing the weighty issues that do. Keeping up appearances whilst not owning the truth of what is going on inwardly. Asserting that, well, if I'd been part of that, I would not have made the same mistake. High self-regard, not backed up by evidence to support it with a lack of humility. You weren't there and you perhaps would have done exactly the same thing. <sighs> yeah, it's here, I'll send you it. So, there does appear to be a standard for those he was speaking to at the time along the essence of this. Don't impose rules that take people further away from what I am revealing about the nature of God. So how well did his approach work? Well, they killed him. They killed Jesus. They didn't like the new syllabus. The people who were waiting for the expression of God did not like the expression of God when it arrived. They killed him. Now, let's just take that at face value for a minute because I know some of you will think, and, and I know that we could say he chose death, he laid down his life willingly, it was part of a wider plan. I get it, but, but we, miss, we miss then the point. They killed him. So whether it was part of a wider purpose, etc., the actual experience for the person living this was to be utterly rejected and destroyed by the people he actually came to support their cause. So we can sanitize it all you want, but that's awful. Now, he's held up the standard of a beautiful gospel better than anyone had ever heard, and they rejected the syllabus. Because a change of syllabus is hard because we like our answers. We like the textbook we've acquired because it gives us certainty, it gives us confidence. Those girls would rather sit in a class where they know the answers than sit in a class where they don't. And we all, that's like, we all want that. I get that. Now, I'm just going to give you an example of how this is applied, um, th th this applied to me. 
Mikhail was a teacher for many years, and I was a teacher of English, and then for many of those years, I was a, had a leadership role leading English in a school in York. And as an English teacher, I went through four different GCSE syllabuses across the 20 years I was teaching. It was actually eight, because we had English language and English literature. It changed four times across 20 years. And each time you had a new syllabus, although there, were, there was always Shakespeare in there, there was always poetry in there, how it was delivered um, via exam, via coursework, via controlled assessment, and how it was assessed and the criteria for the different grades changed four times across 20 years. Now, that's typically because every time there is a, a new um, political party or a new education secretary, they want to make their mark on education, so they change the syllabus. What, again, I get that. But what that means on the ground is that any skills that you've acquired in delivering this qualification to your students, you have to start again and relearn it. Now, it's tough. It's really tough because you have to learn the same course but with a different emphasis and with a different nuance. And if you're leading a team, you have to then equip them to do it too. So there was, on four different occasions, the year 10s were studying one syllabus while the year 11s were studying a different one. So you're running two different sets of criteria for what makes a C grade, what makes a D grade. Now, you can imagine if... I'm not discounting maths teachers, but they have a few more right and wrong answers. When you're teaching English, you have a piece of story. Someone hands in a story, and one of the criteria you mark it against is, is it engaging or interesting? Well, depends what time you're reading it. Depends if you've had a good day. Depends. It's very subjective. So you then have to find this standard that's already subjective. And it's really hard. There was one time, what, so what you used to have is standardization meetings. So what you'd have is you'd, you'd have all your teachers in a room and everyone would bring a sample of their, their work. So you'd bring two A stars, two A's, two C's, and then it changed to fours and fives. So then we had numbers and letters at the same time. Um, so and then you'd, you'd look. So I'd hand mine to my colleague and I'd say, I think this is a C. And she'd hand me one of her C's and she'd say, I think this is a C. And then we'd see if the C's, we were on a par. Because what would happen is the exam boards would call for a sample. So they'd call for you to submit your marks and then they will call two A stars, two A's, two B's, two C's, etc. And if your sample is not correct when it goes to the exam board and we have awarded C's to students and you don't know what you're going to get so they can pick any pupil. If we've awarded C's and they think it's a D, they will downgrade every single C in your entire centre which will put your whole school in jeopardy and the head teacher might lose his job. It was terrifying absolutely terrifying so one time there was this pupil in my class who'd written what I thought was interesting <laughs> so I'd given him a C anyway I went to my colleagues and I went this is a C he's done the best piece of work he's ever done they started laughing their heads off at me they were going Jenny this is not interesting this is terrible they downgraded him to an F um, but I was like, but he's tried, he's tried so hard, it's the best piece of work he's ever done. And they said it might be the best piece of work he's ever done, but it's still an F. Because actually, you realise that 
sometimes the way you're judging a standard is you're judging it on efforts, you're judging it on whether or not it's done something for you. It doesn't mean to say it's actually where it needs to be. And so all of this stuff plays out. And we, have, we very much have people, we live in an age where everyone's deciding whether this works for me. It might work for you, but it still not, might not be okay. And it's like, still might not be okay. And how do we know whether we're judging things accurately or assessing them accurately or just in our own little merry world of going, great. It's a massive question and I struggle with it. I don't have an answer, by the way. But I do think this needs to be on the table as something really important. How are we measuring what the standards are? Is it any good? And who decides? And how do we decide? And how do we standardize it? Um, now, I understand in the midst of all that why we want to hold on to what we know, because we know then what success looks like. We can quantify it, we can trust it, and we know what it is. As soon as you start questioning our versions of the textbook, you don't know where you stand anymore, and that's when it becomes um, anxiety-ridden. And in a group, when we have a common language, a common goal, and a common enemy, it helps to create a tribe, which helps to create culture, and it helps to create belonging. And without a shared and, understand, under, shared and understood standard, what is everyone working to and measuring themselves against? How do we know we've achieved it? What's our shared criteria? Who is not meeting the grade? And who might we be putting at risk? Why I have found the last 18 months at Q so challenging is that there has been this such change and it's like learning a new way to set a standard and how we are doing. A total change of course, lots of external judges. And that's scary stuff when you're responsible. It's really scary stuff. And so where's the textbooks gone? And aren't there standards? Rob's thought last week about the four quadrants that he shared resonated. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to it. Because we are at a fork in the road. Or we will remain quantum Q. And there are implications for both. And I'm sorry if you weren't here last week. I encourage you to catch up so that comment makes more sense. Um, but some of you worry about the new standard around here. Me too. But I worry more about not going far enough for fear of not living up to the old standards I held for many years. And in the Mona Lisa Smile film, Betty, one of the students, does not like subversive Catherine, who is making them think that only aspiring to be a wife and mother is not far enough. So she writes a letter to the college in protest, which Catherine reads, and she has something to say in response. Okay, final part then. Sometimes demands are good. And sometimes we don't want things to demand of us because we don't like it. But sometimes the demand for excellence is exactly what we need to push us out of just being assigned the roles we were born to play. So if there is demand on your life, demand on your thinking, demand to push from people, be grateful for the people that demand you to think in your life because they are some of your greatest friends. If you're never pushed, if you're never challenged, if you're never stretched to think, get yourself some new friends. Um, 
because it's important. And Catherine highlights the contradiction among the smartest women in the country. I did not realize that in demanding excellence, I will be challenging the roles you were born to fulfill. We all need to be challenged on the roles we've assigned ourselves and feel born to fulfill. Jesus brought challenge over who and what should be included, over what roles there should be and who should have them and who shouldn't have them, over what people were born to. And he was seen as submersive too. But he held to the pattern of not sticking to the pattern, even when that worked against him. Now, I just want to share one more example, and I have to say these views are entirely my own because it steps into my employment. So just in case, because this is recorded, these views are entirely my own. Um, and please take this as a point of principle around wisdom. It's not about politics. There's all sorts of cross-party, cross-life examples. When Michael Gove became Secretary of State for Education in 2010, remember that date, he reversed the policy of previous governments and made available to state schools something called IGCSE. This is one of the new syllabuses I had to teach, which previously only those people that pay, paid for private education could access. And he said, this is the gold standard qualification that every student in this country should study because it is the best thing and how our country holds up globally against educational standards. So a lot of state schools adopted it um, and they started using the same qualifications available to private school students. Guess what happened? Some of the schools that were state schools and not private started outperforming the private schools. So this was what happened two years later in the news. Michael Gove today called for the race to the bottom to end, announcing an exam shake-up that will see GCSEs replaced by this new qualification that was 100% exams. Within two years, because the state schools started performing private schools, I mean, this is my conclusion, and I, I tell you, it's difficult to see it any other way. This thing that was held up as the, everyone must do this, was now when state schools did it, they were racing to the bottom. What, what changed in two years, other than the fact that some schools started performing better than they were supposed to? Now, to this day, in English, State school students sit 100% exams, but if you're in an independent school, you have coursework which you can redraft. Um, there is a disparity there, because it seems the story told was amended each time to fit the narrative that needed to exist. Q cannot be the story that's told because of the narrative that any of us needs to be in existence. And neither can anything else. It needs to be what the story is in the full light of day, whatever that means, whatever that turns out to be, however messy it gets, however subversive it looks. And there have been a bunch and are a bunch of things in my life that I'd rather not see. The same's true for you. And in my 20s and well beyond, my textbook standard Christian answers prevented me from seeing most of them. And I was a blind guide in my own life. Um, and we are all still blind in some areas because of our textbooks that we keep reading and reciting because we don't want to think and do the work and have what it demands of us. And perhaps a global concept of church may be about the business of raising standards, and perhaps it should be. We should be higher thinkers. We should be able to get other people to think more highly and at a different level of life and all sincere and devoted and very... But is this the quest? It's another big topic. 
But I'm going to summarize by saying this. How does all of this relate to the core message of Jesus? Um, it seems to me that Jesus' message was definitely in the business of telling those with a religious bent that their version of the standard prohibits them and others from entering the kingdom. He seemed to be more interested in setting the bar that said, change and become, like little children, change and become. Truth is not measured by the religious majority in any context. It's been said here many times before, religion is not what just happens in church and spiritual things. If you're always finding yourself in the majority on some things, just pause. We must always, always ask ourselves, have we swapped any religious textbook approach for another one that is equally a blind guide in our life? So is it any good? Is this any good? The girls were asked that in the film by Catherine. Um, and maybe sometimes it's not about whether it's any good, but about whether it's true. In this final clip from the newsroom, which is well worth a watch, by the way, um, there is a breaking news story of a shooting. And every other outlet, news outlet, has gone with the story that the victim congresswoman has died. But the characters in here, Will and Mackenzie, won't run the story as they don't have a reliable source that tells them it's true. So despite the pressure, they will not compromise the integrity of their quest for true no news, even though it makes them look out of step with all the other news outlets. And crikey, I think if I'd got a call to action, it's I want you to hear and feel the spirit of the quest in this next clip because it's powerful and what we are doing here is not for the faint-hearted because there is work to do, there are demands to be made and um, I think that's right. I think that's right and I want us to do the next bit and do the next bit. I want to demand excellence of the way we think, of the way we interact, of the way our life, of what we say matches how we deliver it across the board. I think that's hard work and I think it's a worthy, a worthy cause. Otherwise, we sit here and we go about our life throwing out our responses, knowing the answers without ever really, truly understanding the questions. I'll show this to close. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest.